We still have people on occasion that are listening in the parking lot. I just wanted to say hi to Kathy out there. And there may be neighbors that are listening because our broadcast actually goes within about 100 yards or three, three blocks. And so um, you can let people know in the houses. And if you're listening this morning from one of the houses next door to the church parking lot, we want to welcome you as well. John was a, a, a friend of mine, a pastor on the East Coast. And John received a phone call late one morning from a person in his congregation. A young man, a carpenter, can you pull me down just a bit? There's a young man, a carpenter, who was building a house and had had an accident. He had fallen into the basin, basement and suffered a severe head trauma. He lay in intensive care dying with his wife sobbing at his bedside. Finally, the lines of the oscilloscope went flat, and he was gone. The man left a wife and two small children. And what made matters worse, if possible, was that he and his wife had had a disagreement that morning. It turned into a fight, and he left the house in anger. His wife was tormented. Was she responsible? Was he distracted and preoccupied? Was it, was it her fault? She would never be able to say, I'm sorry. Guilt. Incredible guilt. I had finished my student teaching, completing my college degree, when I was invited to a Christmas party at one of my students' homes. It was late, and I was preparing to leave when the young lady hosting the party asked if she could speak with me privately. On the verge of tears, she said, I've got to talk with somebody. Can I talk with you? I sat for 30 minutes as she began to unfold her story. She was a 17-year-old honor student. Her parents were prominent, respected members of the community. Several months earlier, she had become pregnant, and she didn't know what to do. She sought counseling, and the counselor told her to get an abortion. So she did. Now she could no longer live with the unbearable burden of guilt. She said over and over again, I killed my baby. Guilt. Overwhelming. Guilt. One night, Judy and I were watching a primetime news show hosted by Diane Sawyer. The feature story that night was about a shooting in Santana High School in Southern California. The man they interviewed was the father of one of the students at the school. And on that day that the shots rang out, killing two students and wounding 13, all the parents were immediately notified to come to the school to get their children. As this man rushed to the school to retrieve his son, Andy, all he could think of was, is he okay? When he arrived, he discovered the horrible truth. His son, Andy, was the shooter. Diane Sawyer asked him if he felt responsible for his son's actions. Did he feel guilty? He was so overcome with emotions, he could not answer guilt, incredible guilt, overpowering 
guilt. These are three true stories of guilt. Guilt. Now, we, we all wrestle with guilt from time to time. It may just be a nagging sense of uneasiness, or it may be an overpowering sense of shame that controls nearly everything we do. A past memory that won't go away. A present sin of failing that keeps harassing you. It might be guilt feelings. You, you know it's past, you know it's forgiven, but you can't quite leave it behind. Guilt can affect how we think, how we act. It can affect our relationship with other people, our relationship with ourselves. Guilt can affect our view of God. It can affect our relationship with God. Sometimes guilt becomes so intertwined with who we are that we can no longer see how it's affecting us. A little guilt is good. Okay? It's part of the function of the human conscience, helping us discern right from wrong. It tells us when we have done something wrong, and it can prompt us to do something about it. But guilt that controls our lives can be destructive and debilitating. Now, if you are wrestling with guilt of any kind, any kind, this message is for you. Today, we begin a series entitled The Chosen. The Chosen can refer to Jesus, the Chosen, or it can refer to the followers of Jesus, the Chosen. We're going to start a series looking at Jesus, his life, what he taught, what he did. Jesus had a mission, and one part of his mission was to deliver us from guilt. Today we're going to look at guilt-free. How to become guilt-free. It's the way God intends us to live. Let's see what the Bible says about guilt-free. We're going to turn to John 1. John, the first chapter, verses 19 to 34. John 1, 19 to 34. It'll be on the projection as well. It's on, it's on page 860 if you want to look at it in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he came before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. 
I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This passage records the kickoff or the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Aside from his, his birth and his very early life, which we looked at during the Christmas season, Jesus had grown up as a pretty normal child. I know there are a lot of extra-biblical sources that talk about miracles he did as a child, but we take the record that we have here in the Bible. Pretty normal child, at least in view of his friends and relatives and neighbors. John the Baptist, however, had not had a normal upbringing. He lived in the desert. He dressed funny. He lived off the land, said he dressed in camel skin. That's not camel hair, which is very expensive, but camel skins. And he ate honey and locusts. It was kind of this weird, you know, weird kind of lifestyle. And then he started preaching and then baptizing, which was the act of putting people underwater or pouring water over their heads, depending on your theological background, over their heads to symbolize this baptism was to symbolize death to the old way, which is repentance and life in a new way, a new start. And people were flocking to John at the Jordan River. Why? Because they wanted a new start. They were living with guilt. They were living with sin. They were living in this world, and they wanted to know that they could be forgiven and they could have a new start. They wanted to be free of their sins. But John was just preparing for the main act. He was the opening act, the warm-up show for the main event. His responsibility was to get people ready for the Messiah, for the Christ, Jesus. Jesus. And it says, one day Jesus shows up and John says, talking about Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They knew immediately that he was talking about the Messiah. The people that day wrestled with guilt, and they were coming to John. I want forgiveness. I want a new start. I want my sins forgiven. And John says, look, here is the real one, the one whose mission is to take sin away. He gets everybody's attention to look at Jesus. Now, we're going to spend some time this morning looking at four facts for guilt-free living. What do we base our relief from guilt on? Where does it come from? Four facts. Number one, Jesus initiated something brand new. Jesus initiated something brand new. This was a new reality. It says Jesus was the Lamb of God. Now, people say, what does that mean? Well, the Old Testament had the old system. John is speaking to a Jewish culture, and they base their entire faith journey, their walk with God, on the Old Testament um, law. And there were, there were the Ten Commandments, there was ceremonial law. And no matter what you did, there was always a sacrifice for every kind of sin. If you read through Exodus, you get tired of saying, oh, there's this, there's that. There are all kinds of sacrifices, very much prescribed. And so they, they were taught and they practiced sacrificing, shedding blood, and that would pay for their sins. That was the old system. And if they sacrificed 
in some cases it would have been a lamb, their guilt was removed. Their guilt was removed. And the lamb was very important to them. As, as we've looked at Exodus, we remember that, that when they were getting ready to depart Exodus, depart Egypt and take the Exodus, they were supposed to celebrate something that later became known as the Passover. This is where the lamb comes in. It was a lamb. They were all as families to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of that and put it on the doorposts of their houses. And when the angel of death came over the land, if they had blood on their doorposts, he said, I will pass over you. I won't judge you. Your sin is covered by the blood of that lamb. Well, the Jews practiced this Passover for many, many years as part of their religious exercise. And now John comes and says, hey, here's a, here's a lamb. Here's the lamb of God. The lamb of God. Shed blood delivering them from sin. That was the old system. When Jesus came and when John said, this is a lamb of God, this was bringing a new system. The old way of paying for sins, atoning for our guilt, was going away. This was the beginning of something brand new. Brand new. The people knew their guilt could only be removed by continual sacrifices, and that was all to change. It, it's called planned obsolescence. Some of you know what planned obsolescence is. Planned obsolescence is part of every technical device, every computer, every cell phone, software updates, um, appliances, what they do is they design all these, all these things that we use. They plan them to become obsolete. Why do they do that? I mean, I like 3.1. I like, you know, there are certain types of technic, technical things I enjoyed, and they make you learn a new one. It's planned obsolescence. Well, they're, they're doing it for economic reasons, okay? Planned obsolescence. It's part of the process. Well, God had a plan, and he also established a system, but he also planned an obsolescence. It was a planned obsolescence. We used to be paying for the sin by the shedding of blood of animals. Now Jesus comes and presents something brand new. We take this so for granted because we've lived on this side of Calvary, on this side of the cross. We, we have no clue how incredibly uh, new this was to them. They had... They had they had lived with this system for years, and this was revolutionary, that the Lamb of God was going to pay for their sins once and for all. Now, why can John say, if Jesus comes to, to, to take away sin, remove guilt, to forgive sins, why can John say, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world? This is the second fact for guilt-free living. Second fact is, Roman numeral two, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. When John says the Lamb of God, he means the Lamb who is God. The Lamb who is God. Because Jesus is God, his nature is infinite, and so his forgiveness has infinite reach for infinite numbers of people. Try to, we can't understand infinity, so... There are a lot of things that we don't understand, but it's what it says. He expands it. He says, Jesus surpassed me. In other words, in verse 30, he says, he was transcendent. He wasn't limited. He said, he was before me. 
In other words, he was pre-existent. John says, Jesus existed before I existed. Well, we know from the birth narratives that John was born first, like six months earlier than Jesus was born. But he said, Jesus pre-existed me. He existed before me. Why did he say that? Because he's God. Eternal. That's why Jesus said in John 8, before Abraham was born, I am, which is a transcendent title. Then he says he's going to fill with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who infuses us or fills us with God himself. This was revolutionary for them to hear that, that, that Jesus was going to fill people with God. Okay? Now, understanding, we, we're on this side of Pentecost, and we kind of take that for granted. The Holy Spirit was sent to infuse and dwell in all people. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came to individuals of God's choosing on rare occasions when God needed something incredible done. He was very selective. Not many people experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Saul, David, Samson, you talk about various Old Testament saints and Old Testament people. It says the Spirit of God came on them and they did this incredible mighty thing. God chose and acted. And by saying that Jesus now is the one who will baptize fill and immerse them with the Holy Spirit is to say, this is God. And let me tell you something. If I've been waiting my whole life to to see the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and then he can actually fill me with the Holy Spirit, with God, I'm going to be excited. It's an incredible concept for them to see this. So when John said, this is the Lamb of God, it also means he was the Son of God, letter D. The reason Jesus can take away our sin, our guilt, is not because he was some great moral teacher, but because he was and is God. When we sing that song about the name of Jesus, what it does, depression, illness, all those things, that's the name of Jesus. That's the power that Jesus brought. So Jesus initiated something brand new because Jesus is God. And number three, Jesus takes away sin. Jesus takes away sin. Now, if you do not believe that all sin is against God and only God can forgive sins, I cannot help you with your guilt. I can't help you. And I hope we all agree this morning that we all have sinned. If you say no, I'll ask your spouse. No, I won't do that. Or your kids, whatever. Have we sinned? Romans 3.23 says... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. That's everybody have sinned. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. The verdict is in. We are all guilty. We've all sinned. So how do we get rid of our guilt? That's the question. How do we get rid of the guilt of this sin? In Romans 5, 8 through 11, the passage is a lot in here. We don't have time to unpack it all, but it says this. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait till we got our act together, or we'd still be in deep trouble. Okay? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only this is so, is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, you may need to, to look this up at home later and read through it to understand in a deeper way. That's why I put passages of Scripture so that you can actually read them later because some of this stuff takes a long time to unpack. But suffice it to say that many of us will f- try to find a way to atone for our own sins. We just want to make up for it. If I can just do enough. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to demonstrate the new way, the love of God, that while we were still sinners, while we were still guilty, while we still had guilt, Jesus came to take away our sin. We can't earn it. How did that happen? First of all, Jesus died to pay for our sins, verse 8 in this passage. Jesus died. The lamb died to pay for our sins. How many of you have or had had a home mortgage? Anybody ever had one or have one or you pay rent? Something. Okay. We have have debt. And we have debt. We make payments. We refinance. We take out home equity lines of credit to pay for college and weddings and all that kind of stuff too. But sooner or later, we have to pay the mortgage. We have to pay the mortgage debt, the bill. Someone has to pay the debt back. And when we look at our lives, when we sin, if we're guilty, we owe a debt of sin. Someone needs to pay for our wrongs. We cannot pay for our own sin. Guilt will drive us to try. But Jesus paid for our wrongs by dying. For you, for me. He died. So he died for that. And then, two, Jesus declared us not guilty. Not guilty. Says you're justified by his blood. Justified is a legal term to declare not guilty. So if you go to court and you're on trial, when they get to that verdict and they say not guilty, it's a legal term. You are not guilty. Okay? If they say guilty, you're guilty. If they say not guilty, it's a legal term. And when it talks about being justified, it says you were justified by his blood. His blood made you not guilty. We did the crime. Jesus did the time. Declared not guilty. And number three, Jesus saved us from God's wrath. Verse 9. This is punishment or judgment. Because when we sin... Somebody has to pay, somebody has to, you know, we owe somehow unless somebody intervenes. And there's punishment or judgment for that. Ephesians 2, I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly. We don't have time to unpack everything, but Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, and there's the but, all of this negative picture, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though we are dead in transcriptions, it is by grace you have been saved. 
it, it's always grace. It's nothing we can, we can't earn it. And when we're guilty and feel guilty, we want to earn it. Don't we? I do. I want to earn it and try to make up for something I did or said. He says, by nature, we're objects of wrath. We're dead in transgressions, but we're made alive because of God's great love and mercy. The fourth part of this verse uh, of Romans 5, Jesus reconciled us to God. Reconciliation means to remove the reason for the break in relationship. Now, if you have a fight with somebody, you have a disagreement, something, there's a conflict of some sort, in order for you to reconcile, you have to remove the cause of that enmity, the cause of the conflict, and then you can be reconciled. Jesus removed that cause of conflict, which is our sin. He removed our sin so we could again relate to God free and unhindered. That's reconciliation. No guilt. And then, number five, Jesus saved us through his life. So Jesus died to pay for our sins. Jesus declared us not guilty. Jesus saved us from God's wrath. Jesus reconciled us to God. And Jesus saved us through his life. How? That's how. Now the what? What does this mean? What does this mean in a practical sense? First of all, Jesus takes away the shame, the shame of sin. We don't have to hang our heads in shame and say, I'm just a dirty, rotten, poor sinner. If you knew what I had done in my past, I've done this. No, he takes away, he removes the shame of sin. And this includes every sin known to human beings. Every sin. He removes every sin. He also takes away the power of sin. The power of sin. Maybe there's a sin that keeps cropping its head, head up and we stumble and we stumble and we stumble. We keep sinning. Not only does Jesus take away the shame of sin, but also the power of that sin. Then he takes away the consequences of sin. Sin always has results and consequences. But Jesus came to take away the ultimate consequences, which is a break in our relationship with God. Isolation from God. And finally, Jesus takes away the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin. And this is real guilt. Not, not guilt feelings. Guilt feelings come and go. We're going we're gonna to have guilt feelings. But he takes away real guilt so we can be free of guilt feelings. John says, look... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. So what? Roman numeral four. Everybody has a chance and a choice. Everybody has a chance and a choice. When I was a youth pastor at a church in Grand Forks, North Dakota, I took a youth group on a field trip to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And while walking through the city, we struck up conversation with some of the street people, some of the homeless on the street. And one man was an admitted alcoholic. He had been living on the street for many, many years. And he began to tell me his story. He told me God could forgive every sin except one murder. 
murder. As he spoke, I came to the conclusion that early in his, this man's life, he had killed someone. And the guilt that, of that act followed him and hounded him and drove him to alcoholism. And he had left his family and friends for a life alone on the streets, convinced that certainly God can forgive every other sin, but not murder. He was wrong. He was wrong. God can and will forgive every sin, even murder. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then we can live guilt free. Look, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. And if you're wrestling with guilt, the shame of sin, the power of sin, the consequences of sin, the guilt of sin, Jesus took it away once and for all. We are called to just repent, ask for forgiveness, and receive that gift of forgiveness so we can live guilt-free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that Jesus came to take away all the sin, not just certain sins and not just for specific people, but everyone. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to speak to our hearts as we move forward. And if anyone here is wrestling with that, that you would set them free. And God, that we would know and be able to live in that grace and forgiveness, knowing that in your eyes, we are guilt-free, we are righteous, we are perfect in your sight. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to set us free moving forward. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Thank you.